I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, April 12th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech all in just seven minutes. Brett, let me see if I have this straight. Elon Musk was talking about creating an alternative Twitter. That was the first thing he did. Then he bought a huge chunk of Twitter to be like a huge shareholder. With it came a spot on the board. Now he's not going to join the board and he's tweeting out criticisms of a company he just bought, what, 10% of? What is going on? Yeah, look, I don't know what to tell you, Jay. You haven't learned from your conversations with him? Well, we haven't spoken in a while, not since our days at Queen's University. But, you know, Elon Musk has more than enough money to just buy Twitter. And it increasingly looks like that's what's going to happen. And you got to think that would be exciting. You know, I kind of want it to happen just to see what happens. Like if Elon Musk bought Twitter, what like what would be next? Would all these things he's pulling on right now on his Twitter feed? He's asking, should they turn the Twitter office into a homeless shelter? I don't know, maybe. Uh, should people who buy Twitter blue automatically get a check, like that blue check mark, like they're verified? Sure, why not? That'd be helpful for us. I've been trying to get the peak verified for, for years now. And so like, it would just be exciting. It would be something. Exciting is a word that doesn't connotate good or bad. So I'll just say, Yes, exciting to watch from a distance. It made me might make me take down my Twitter handles. But, yeah, uh, that's what I was gonna ask. You were gonna boycott. You're gonna boycott Twitter if Elon Musk takes it over. Well, unless I can get a blue, let's che- get a blue check mark by buying it with Dogecoin. I'll say this is that I'm not. You know, I, I we try to keep this politics free, but Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, you could just trade them out. Like it's not. You know, <laughs> they're all kind it's of the great. same to me. Yeah, yeah, they're all kind of the same. It's to not me. great. I I would vote for Brett to take over Twitter before I vote for Elon Musk. How's that? Uh, yeah. First thing I would do, edit button. It's only taken, what, 100 years to get an edit button? Yeah. Brett, aside from Elon Musk and his antics with Twitter, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, creators revolt. For our second story, insider trading. And for our third story, lucky lobster. For our first story. As Etsy tries to graduate from niche online marketplace status to the e-commerce big leagues, a public battle over fee increases is heating up between the company and its sellers. Brett, what's this Etsy merchant revolt we're talking about? Well, I guess let's start with what Etsy is. And so since launching in 2005, Etsy has become the top destination for handcrafted and vintage products. Last year, the platform had about 90 million active buyers and was among the biggest winners for investors during the pandemic. Now, in Canada, there are about 378,000 active Etsy sellers, 35% of which list their creative business on and off Etsy as their sole occupation, if you believe it or not. I believe it. But now, more than 15,000 Etsy sellers representing just 0.3% of its marketplace, have signed a petition against raising the platform's transaction fees to 6.5% from 5%, this according to a story in the Wall Street Journal. This is a pretty big deal, Jay. Etsy has spent millions to increase its capacity for site traffic, improve its search engine, and attract new shoppers, but the company's growth strategy doesn't jive with the way that many of its artisans, who actually built the brand and do business for the company, how they actually operate. Sellers who make a limited number of items by hand don't necessarily benefit from more advertising, and others have taken issue with being pushed to offer free shipping or speed up their response times to customers. Etsy told The Peak the fee increase, which is still lower than what Amazon and eBay charge, won't boost profit margins. Instead, it will be used to invest more and better support for customers and for sellers, but clearly Etsy sellers aren't buying it. Get it, Brett? They're not buying. They're not buying it. Yeah. I got it, Jane. And this is why this all matters. Marketplaces are a really tough business because they're two-sided. Etsy's in between the sellers and the customers, and they're always walking a tight, tight tightrope between the two. 
And it's very similar to how Amazon operates as well. Whereas, you know, Amazon opened up to more ads, which pissed off their current sellers who then couldn't be ranked as high as those who would pay. And it'll be really interesting to see how Etsy deals with this revolt from merchants. And I think will be a case study for how future marketplaces respond to similar issues. For our second story, two Canadian employees for Globe Newswire are under investigation by the Ontario Securities Commission for allegedly using their access to unpublished corporate press releases to carry out advantageous trades. One of those moves looks really clever on paper. That is until you get caught, of course. Jay, I hate to say it, but when I read this, I thought to myself, that's pretty smart. That's like a pretty, pretty smart thing to do. But obviously they got caught. So it wasn't that smart. What were these traders up to? Well, between May 2018 and July 2021, One of the accused netted roughly $1.39 million from over 250 trades made on the same day or shortly before a company issued a press release on Globe Newswire that would impact the stock price. So it's hard to argue that this is completely coincidental, this person working at Globe Newswire making 250 trades and being right every single time. Yeah. And what's interesting is that this case is a high profile instance of insider trading in Canada simply because... There aren't that many instances of it, or at least there aren't many instances of it that actually get caught. During the 2020-2021 fiscal year, the Canadian Securities Administrator, which is a body comprised of the country's security commissions, commenced proceedings for 13 instances of insider trading and doled out over $100,000 in fines. I can't believe that, Jay. We got to stop right there. They they only prosecuted 13 instances of insider trading and the penalties were $105,000. You know, by the way, if we just go back to the beginning of the story, these folks made over a million dollars trading. And so the fines may actually be worth it for them in the end. Like we said, these low case numbers, which actually marked an increase from the previous year, suggest that either insider trading doesn't happen very often in Canada, which I don't believe, or it just doesn't get caught unless you're like these two and leave a detailed trail of text messages explicitly denoting every single time you committed the crime of insider trading. And here's the bigger picture, Brett. This is another reminder that insider training does happen in Ontario and in Canada. But the real question is whether law enforcement actually has the resources needed to prosecute. And for our final story, Canada is the world's largest lobster exporter, shipping out a whopping 86% of the world's supply and making a record $3.26 billion from these exports last year. This number could even get bigger in 2022, Brett, with lobster prices currently nearing an ATH, all-time high, as global demand soar. And those are the two things soaring right now, crypto, lobsters. Those are just the two (laughs) boom markets. However, prices are getting so high that some restaurants and grocery stores in Atlantic Canada, arguably, at least to me, the world's lobster capital, Jay will disagree, by the way, are worried that they may have to take lobster off the menu. So Jay, what's going on with the lobster biz? Well, we'll talk about Maine in a second, but at the beginning of the pandemic, lobster prices actually dropped to $4 a pound. But then something really funny happened, Brett. Americans decided that they were going to be stuck inside all day, that it was time to treat themselves and export demand to the U.S. reach new highs. Lobster is currently priced at $14.50 a pound, but it was as high as $19.50 a pound earlier this year. I can just picture in my mind Daddy Warbucks, you know, going off to his 
his summer home in Connecticut and saying, honey, we're having lobster tonight. And then kind of coming out the whole thing. And this was all great, but debt mounting fuel and labor costs and big loans on boats and licenses are driving lobster fishermen to take an increased risk to capitalize on this boom, running on little sleep and operating in dangerous conditions. The Transportation Safety Board of Canada says there were roughly 45 fishing related deaths in Canada between 2018 and 2020, the worst three year period in two decades. That's terrible. That's very bad. And since we're on the topic of lobster, here's a quick history lesson on our Claude seafood friends. Lobster was long considered a poor man's food before becoming a popular canned meal during the U.S. Civil War. When the war ended, wealthy folk who visited Maine discovered how dang tasty those little red freaks were when they were eaten fresh. Then prices skyrocketed and it's been a bougie treat ever since. And Brett, I don't mean to be controversial, but I've been to Maine. I've been to Atlanta, Canada. I'm actually not going to take sides in this argument, but say that I do like going to Maine and eating lobster. There's no way you can tell the difference between Maine lobster and New Brunswick lobster. It's impossible. Well, if a lobsters can't tell, we can't tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's a, <laughs> the borders don't matter. Okay, now back to the bottom line. Lobster star status is a major economic driver for Canada, but to ensure both the economic and physical safety of the hardworking fishers who capture the world's favorite sea bug, the government should introduce improved safety and training regulations and subsidies for fishing licenses. By the way, Jay, I once met somebody and their entire business, and they were making millions of dollars doing this with just exporting lobster from Atlantic Canada to China. And it was like a huge business. Very interesting. Anyways, Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for producing this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I just thought of a summer road trip. Are you ready? You and I, on the road, on assignment for the Peak, to seeing if we can tell the difference between a Maine lobster eaten in Maine and a New Brunswick lobster eaten in New Brunswick. You know, Jay, I like you, but 12 hours in the car? No, thank you. I'm not. But that 12 hours, that's like three lobster (laughs) stops. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, three lobster stops, a couple podcasts later. It'll be great. People will stay tuned. All right, Brett, have a good day. You too.